The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. We have spoken a lot about recessionary business and how businesses have changed due to the recessionary climate. And I don't think that we had the opportunity to talk yet about how the soft economy was affecting the sports business at large how much people are spending on going to see live sports. Is it evolving? Will there be less um, opportunities for stadium gatherings? Um, are we going to watch it all in our home? But I have the expert that's going to spend some time with us and clarify and answer our questions. His name is Thomas Van Riper, and he is the sports business editor for Forbes magazine. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Cindy. Good to be on with you. It's uh, it's really great to have you. Did I say your title right? Yeah, I'm you know I'm more of a writer than an editor, but I, I appreciate that though. You kind of you bump me up a little bit, but that's okay. I cover I cover sports business for Forbes, writing and editing, but mostly writing. Okay, well yeah, you know your, we know you know your stuff, and um, talked to you many many times in the past about things in the news that come up that affect the sports industry, and you always know your stuff. You're always on top of your game. So we're going to start with the general question, Tom. Um, the sports business is improving but slow. What do you mean by how slow? Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, everyone who I have talked to and, and some you know consulting firms that are in this business have done surveys, and they all pretty much say that uh, most people, about 70% or so, say they plan uh, to spend more on sports in 2010 than they did in, in 2009. Uh, just as many, 70%, maybe 75%, said that they spent quite a bit less in 2009 than they had in 2008. So what we're seeing is people absolutely cut back on their discretionary uh, spending on sports like they did with a lot of other things during this recession. They're probably probably going to spend a little bit more this year, um, but only so much because you know we still have unemployment close to 10%. Uh, incomes are still fairly stagnant. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that's true. It's interesting, Tom. I went to the Staples Center for a hockey game on Saturday night. And even though we were in a skybox where things are, you're in your own little microcosm, I looked out at the stadium and it was probably only, I would say, 40% full. Really? And the last time I had been to a hockey game, which I don't even want to date myself, the you know the stadium was really you know much more full, but it was way before the recession hit, and I had never seen the stable center you know I have, I've never seen a swarm of so many empty seats. So I guess that was my first time that I realized as a consumer that people just aren't spending on the tickets that they used to, and maybe promotions in terms of 
trying, you know, papering the house or whatever. Nobody seemed to bother to do that. So I, I was wondering if that mirrored a lot of the stadiums in big city USA. Yeah, and it does vary stadium to stadium and city to city. Uh, you know, sports is a discretionary uh, spend. People, I mean, every survey shows when, when people are asked about this, they will stop spending on other things first. I mean, people, you know, like sports as a diversion. So when it comes to having to watch your budget a little bit, you know, people might be a little more quick to cut back on, on nice nice meals out in restaurants or or getting that nice uh, you know, piece of clothing or handbag or whatever it is uh, before they stop spending on sports. So sports sort of lags some of the other extras that people like in their life in terms of when you stop spending on it. And it also tends to come back a little bit more quickly than those other things do. The thing about the sports business, is it, it, it used to be much less cyclical. I mean, you go back to the, the, uh, the brief recession we had uh, in the early 1990s, the recession of the early 80s even, which was, which was worse. Sports spending was not really affected that much at all. And that's because back then, it was before it was run as, a, as the big business it is now. Um, it, it was more seen as comfort food. It was cheap. Tickets were cheap, you know, much more so than, uh, than they are today uh, in real dollar terms. But sports now is so corporately oriented. You know, right, right. You have all these new venues like, like the Staples Center, and the, these places are popping up all over the country. Ticket prices are much more expensive. The idea is you're going to sell these things to businesses. Teams are much more reliant on the expensive tickets, the sky boxes, uh, the club seats, as well as corporate sponsorship dollars. So it's really, it's really made the sports business more cyclical, almost mirroring the corporate the corporate uh, yeah, model that 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 it, that it serves. It's it's kind of caught up in that whole corporate world, and it tends to be more cyclical as the economy moves up and down, instead of sort of that steady comfort food that you know used to be more resilient through thick and thin. Well, let me ask you sort of a side question. Um, because technology has become so advanced over the last, you know, 30 years or so, I mean, it's given people the opportunity to push a button and get some sports satisfaction. How do, I mean, I'm sure that that yeah. also impacts venue sales. I'm sure it does. That's why teams are always, you know, doing what they can to make the whole game experience, uh, you know, as fun as possible, even for more casual fans. Today, let's say, you know, you want to watch a Laker game, right? You want to watch an NBA game. You've got that 42-inch flat screen in your living room. You know, it's one thing, and I've heard some some other media folks talk about this with with the NBA commissioner and say, it's one thing if you have a great seat, right? If you're sort of between the baskets and you're in the first level, you've got this great seat. It's different. But if you're sitting way upstairs where even those seats cost 40 or 50 bucks in a lot of of places. It's not the greatest seat. Do you want to spend that kind of money when you could be home, um, home in your living room with a 42-inch flat screen watching the game in high def? Oh, I mean, you have technological options, so that's affecting the business too, I'm sure. Yeah, that's why teams are really, you know, doing what they can through the recession. A lot of NBA teams as well as other teams have... You know, put together a lot of creative season ticket plans or partial season ticket plans. You know, special nights. You know, reduce reduce rates to bring the family out and, and get free sodas and, and and hot dogs and all of that. Uh, you know, buy five games for the price of four. Yeah, well, I think you know it's following suit. One of the overall trends of this recessionary climate is making everything, every experience into a live entertainment 
you know, family experience. It's like going to an amusement park. So when people spend $40 on a seat with their families, they could feel as if they went into an amusement park. And they have the promotions are really all revved up, you know. It's um, it's a very, very different experience than it last was. I felt it, and I, and I know that you see it too. But, okay, enough about the overall climate. I think that we've gotten the idea. Well, you know, teams are still paying a lot for players, though, aren't they? They are, although you know that market you can sense is 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 coming down a little bit. Uh, the, the baseball, Major League Baseball, was the first league to really kind of you know be at the forefront of the recession. I mean, when baseball opened last year uh, in the 2009 season, it was really the, the first sport to go through sort of a full season after we were in full recessionary mode. And the last couple of off seasons, we've seen a lot of a lot of players. Um, you know, really uh, try, you know, searching high and dry for contracts that a few years ago they would have had no problem getting. Yeah, no. So you, I mean, so it's affecting that too. You you do see that it's harder for a player to negotiate that super sweet deal. That's right. I think the recession has forced clubs to be a little bit smarter. You're still seeing, you know, top players. I mean, this past off season, um, you know, you, you might know Matt Holliday got a big contract from the Cardinals, and you know, last winter the Yankees bought up a, a bunch of top players like CC Sabathia and Mark Teixeira. Um, those real star players are still getting the enormous deals that they that they've always gotten. But those guys in between, the guy who's had a great career but now he's 35, teams aren't taking as big a risk on those players anymore. You know, Johnny Damon, who was a very good player for the Yankees, but also was probably overpaid, and he's an example of a lot of guys like this. You know, went through the whole winter without a contract. He finally settled just before spring training started for for one year with the Tigers. If this were three years ago, he would have gotten probably a three-year deal at big money somewhere. So that you know, it's affecting those guys who are not the real, 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 real key players. Well, no, see, I mean, it's just like the job market. You said that it was very similar to corporate trends. It's exactly the same thing, right? Yeah, you got more NBA types running sports these days. It's not, it's not, I guess it's not, it's not your father's owner anymore. Yeah, they, you know, it's, it's true. Well, that's a, you know, that's a huge change. I mean, that's a very, very big generational change. Well, let's talk about some, you know, happenings in current sports. No, everybody's excited about March Madness now. It's all anybody will talk about. You go on to Twitter, at least all of my, um, the people that I'm following were really having a lot to say and commenting about the early upsets. What's going on? Yeah, uh, the tournament's always got its upsets, doesn't it? This year seems to have a few more than usual. Um, yeah, I think that Sunday was a, you know, a day that nobody expected. It's hard not to root for Cornell, I guess. You know, I mean, who's not going to be rooting for Cornell against Kentucky? You know, the ultimate David Goliath, except for the you know the true blue fans of Kentucky. Uh, yeah, but you know what? It does, does this hurt TV ratings? People get so fed up. They're, you know, they're they're not their teams are no longer they're eliminated. They're no longer in the game. I mean, so people aren't going to watch the game. Is that right? I think there's going to be some uh, negative effect on the television ratings from this point forward, uh, just because there are a few too many Cinderellas. It's kind of interesting with the NCAA tournament. Everyone loves to see an upset, right? If you get caught into a game, you love to see Ohio University beat Georgetown, or you love to see Old Dominion beat Notre Dame, or St. Mary's. Who do they beat? Villanova, right? St. Mary's in California. So you've got these small mid-major schools, and they play these kind of you know traditional Goliath schools. And on any given day, it's fun to see an upset. A lot of people root for upsets. But then once the next round comes, people aren't as excited to watch those teams. 
I mean, the tournament will still get good, pretty good ratings because it's still a big event. But people don't necessarily in the next round want to see Ohio U or Old Dominion. They want to see Georgetown and Notre Dame. The big, the big brands are what get television ratings. And this year, you know, a lot of those folks have been knocked out. North Carolina, UCLA weren't even in the tournament this year, two of the major power brands of college basketball. So I think it's going to affect television ratings a little bit. Yeah, and then the lower ratings come at a bad time for the NCAA, right? Because there's yeah. the TV deals and there's the possibility of opting out of a CBS deal next year and then becoming a bidding war. Why don't you talk through how that takes place in the TV business? Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, college sports, big-time college sports, is a big chase for television money on almost every level. So the NCAA has had a 64-team tournament for 25 years, I guess, this is the 26th year. So they're expecting, a lot of people think it'll happen, they'll actually uh, bump up the schedule to 96 teams next year for the NCAA tournament, so a whole new level of March Madness. In addition to that, yes, the NCAA has the option after this year to opt out of its deal with CBS, which pays them about half a billion dollars a year in rights fees, and throw it open to let CBS rebid, maybe against ESPN and whoever else they can get. The only problem is teams are seeing, or, or the networks are seeing, that you know when you have upsets, as much as they're fun, it does affect the ratings in following rounds. So far through the first two rounds, ratings are down a little bit from last year. Unless some of the big brands like Duke and Kentucky and Syracuse do well and maybe make it to the Final Four, we're probably going to have a down year in the ratings for the, for the March Madness tournament. So that's just not a great time for the NCAA to be throwing up in its bidding. It's going to be a lot tougher to convince ESPN or anyone else to pay even more than that half billion dollars that CBS is paying them every year. So chances are if the ratings are down a little bit, the NCAA might not have that shot to throw it open. Wow. See, people don't realize what goes on be- behind the back door in business a lot. You know, they want to watch games, particularly March Madness. Um, everybody does their, you know, everybody does their pools, right? I mean, it becomes events. Little that's right. That's, an, that's another factor. Um, when, when a team goes out early, you know, some, some folks that are not necessarily hardcore fans, but they're in a pool, because I guess almost everyone is in a pool, they like to watch the games really just to follow their pool, right? So once Kansas goes out in the second round like they did, it's like, oh, that's that screwed up my bracket, and, you know, people kind of tune out after that. So that, that's going to affect uh, affect television ratings that way, too. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, yeah, it's. I know a lot of people in the neighborhood are, you know, are kind of disappointed, kind of disappointed because they were all revved up that first night, and then you know things, the upset took place, and now everybody's not even thinking about it anymore. It's um, yeah, and, it's interesting. And he, it's just very, very interesting. Well, in the next couple of segments, Tom, we're going to talk about baseball, and we'll talk a little bit about Tiger, and maybe a little bit about the NBA and the NFL. I'm going to take a commercial break right now. Um, we're with Thomas Van Riper, and he is sports sports business writer with Forbes. Stand by. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Are you waiting to be discovered? Don't know where to start? Do you think you have star power? Find out if you do and how to make it work for you. 30-year transformational acting veteran Sandy Shuren hosts The Sandy Shuren Show, where acting and the arts meet transformation. Sandy will discuss the concepts that has brought her work to Oprah and America's Next Top Model. From the audition to booking the job and finding your star power, Sandy has it all. Don't miss The Sandy Shuren Show. Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, and we're back with Thomas Van Riper, and he is a sports writer for Forbes magazine, Forbes Online, and we're talking about the sports business and how it was impacted by the economy, and we're about to go to baseball, and um, things are pretty flat there, too. Hmm, Tom? Things are pretty flat. Last year, uh, baseball, we, I know we touched on this before, uh, you know, 2009 was really the first full season that kicked in after the recession. Attendance was down uh, close to 7% from 2008, and teams were really, really scrambling to get people in the door. Um, you know, lots of ticket specials. They took the lead from Bud Selig, who actually had had a meeting going back to the fall of 2008 with Paul Volcker to get you know his impressions of how deep is this recession going to be, how long is it going to last, what's the impact going to be, and when he realized it was going to be pretty bad, they really got out in front of it before last season and urged teams to really you know get as creative as they could as they could with ticket uh, ticket promotions. You know, two for one Tuesday nights in the bleachers, five games for for the price of four, that sort of thing. It was going. Um, it was really going gangbusters, and even with that, attendance dropped about 7%. This year, I think we're going to see more of those same promotions. I think attendance, when, when I talked to some of the folks at MLB, they said they'd be happy if attendance is basically basically flat from last year. So I, th- I, I think we're still going to see a down year, but you know, kind of stabilizing from the way things were in 2009. That's good. How about when we get to the New York area, 
you know, where you are. You have, you know, a couple of new stadiums, particularly, I think, the new Shea Stadium and the new Yankee Stadium, right? I mean, they're yeah. pretty much both brand new on the most part. Does that help things when people are excited about the newness and discovering a new venue and everything that it has to offer? And I'm sure that there's extra, you know, extra bells and whistles because of the promotions of the new venues. It did help things, even though attendance last year for the Yankees and Mets were both down, I mean, mainly because of the recession. And the, the openings of these new stadiums were not the smashing successes that everyone thought they would be, although they certainly helped during the recession. Basically, you had these expensive new palaces that charge a lot for tickets, and they opened in the worst possible year. You know, 2009 was just this horrible year for the economy. Uh, the Yankees sell these, you know, what they call these legend suites, these seats that are right near the field, um, sort of, you know, between you know, sort of from first base around to third base, and they're very visible on television. And the Yankees went through a lot of ridicule because these seats were empty constantly. Every time you saw that basic shot on a telecast uh, of the camera from, from behind the pitcher, you could see those empty seats in the background. But as things went on, the Yankees did sort of have the last laugh because they won the World Series, and, and the house was pretty packed during the World Series against the Phillies. And I think in year two, as things move along, you know, they they did have to drop the prices a little bit. And regardless of some empty seats and some people refusing to pay the high prices, all in all, this new stadium is deriving them a lot more revenue than the old place did. Well, yeah, no, and I, and I, and I guess that's a good thing. It's just horrible in any kind of entertainment, live entertainment, when people see empty seats, it's just a sure sign that things aren't really great. And, that you know, that goes for Broadway, that goes for... Um, you know, many, many, many live venues. I think that the only thing that we've, you know, there are some areas that we have seen some increases in, you know, seat purchases, and that's in the movie business. The motion right? picture and film business. Um, you know, they, for some reason or another, in terms of the great escape, um, the film box office business has been going against recessionary trends. And I think that's because it's still affordable to buy a movie ticket. Yeah, maybe movies is the new sports. You know, movies are more expensive than they used to be, but it's still sort of that, you know, relatively inexpensive night out uh, that sports used to be for a lot of people. Um, so maybe that's, you know, got, got more of that, uh, more, more of the share of that market uh, than it used to. It's a good point. Now it's a, you know, at least people are spending somewhere. Yes, it's like the old, good old day with the hot dog. You go to the movies and you get some popcorn. So it's interesting how um, at least we see some movement with people buying tickets for something. You talk, we talked about um, a little bit before the show free agent spending here in baseball, too. It's pretty quiet, you know, during the winter. Um, it's a bad time for 30-something veterans. I know that yeah. we touched upon this. Um, in other sports area, but for baseball as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of the money, interestingly enough, is going to younger players. I think this whole economy and teams having to pay uh, a little more attention to the bottom line is just not only is it cutting their spending a little bit, but it's really redirecting it into what they see as just smarter spending. It's forced them to be a little bit smarter. That 35-year-old veteran, like we were talking about, who a couple of years ago would have gotten a three-year deal at big money, he's looking for a job, and he may end up getting a year at a salary less than what he was making in his, under his old contract. 
Yeah, no, the, thing, though, um, the thing, though, that has been going uh, going strong this winter, we've seen it with a few teams, um, Arizona Diamondbacks with, uh, with Justin Upton uh, and a few other teams, is teams are investing quite a bit of money in their younger players who are not yet arbitration eligible. In other words, their service time does not yet command, does not yet you know allow them to command a, a major contract. But they're giving them the big money earlier to keep them locked up for several years, instead of waiting for them to get more expensive. You know when they get a couple of more more year service time in. So right. basically, the the money is shifting to these younger guys. Let's we know this guy. He's only 23 and. He's a tremendous talent. Let's, even though he's not that proven yet because he hasn't been around that long, let's put our money in with him because basically this is, you know, a greater chance for an appreciating asset. The 35-year-old is seen as a depreciating asset. They're looking at those things more closely than they used to. Like a house. That's right. Why, uh, why buy a car when you can buy a house? You know, <laughs> buy something that's going to appreciate. Well, yeah. actually, yeah, houses are not exactly appreciating lately, but. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's again, it's just everything's being affected. Everything's being affected. Well, let's jump around from baseball and let's talk about a little bit um, of what you and I enjoy talking about a lot offline yeah. is um, crisis management in sports, and. Um, you know, I guess when people think about crisis management in sports, at least in current events, Tiger will come to mind. Um, you know, let's, we know that he just apologized. Um, we think that he got his apologies finally out of the way, and now the big return to Augusta is really going to, you know, be the sea change for people to start thinking of him as a golf star again and not as a philanderer. Am I correct? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, that really what it, what it comes down to. He's got to get out and start playing again and win. That's really. And you're right. There's been a lot of crisis management, hasn't there lately? We had the baseball steroid scandal. We had A Rod. You know, we had Michael Vick and Tiger Woods. Just seems to blow all that away with his story. Uh, well, he does because that wasn't just steroids. I mean, you know, it, you know. Again, well, you and I had discussed in the past. I think that they could have managed the communication plan a little differently and I'm really convinced that his he wouldn't have suffered the kind of a blow that he suffered had he come out a little sooner and was a little bit more honest and forthright about his life and talked about the fact that he is experiencing some marital challenges and they had a fight like anybody else might have a fight and people expect for them to be superhuman and then I think anything that would have come out it would have deflected that but you know i think everybody pretty much agrees that he could have handled it better but even though some time has gone by finally he's come forward and he's going to start doing some larger interviews i know he already did with golf channel and espn and you know people are just ready to root for him as a golfer again and um you know and, and i think that you agree right i mean you know he he probably could have handled it better um you know, do you think any of the sponsors that have fallen out might come back? I think a lot of them will, and and I think you're right that he, you know, he took a little too much time. I mean, you, under, you understand when the man is basically a walking corporation. I guess he he doesn't want to go out and talk to the public and talk to the press without kind of strategizing a little bit. But if you strategize too much, people criticize you for doing too much strategizing, right? You're 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 sort of hiding behind your handlers, and and therefore they're going to see any ultimate response that you have or any statement that you make as being too rehearsed is kind of what happened. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I personally thought the apology that he made was fine as, as far as it went. I think as long as he 
doesn't have any more crises come up and he gets back on the golf course and plays, I think he's going to do fine. I mean, if he start, if he can imagine if he comes back and wins Augusta in his in his return, he'll be he'll be huge. And in terms of sponsors, I think I think some of the non-sports specific sponsors might not ever come back or they might not come back for a long time. I think that's the one area where he might have done some permanent damage. You know, you had AT&T and a couple of others that aren't really sports or golf related specifically. They were trying to basically benefit from that positive association with him in general. And, you know, that might be slower to come back. I don't, you know, Nike, though, has not, dis- has not uh, gone away from him. Uh, Gatorade did, but they might come back after after some time passes. Because that stuff that is those those companies that market, um, you know, sports related or golf related items are probably always going to stick with them. Because people don't buy Nike golf gear because they necessarily thought Tiger was a great guy. They buy it because he's an unbelievable golfer, and that's not really going to change if he gets back out there and starts winning. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's true. What do you think? Is he going to play his best and blow everybody away? I mean, I'm asking you kind of a psychic question. Don't. Yeah, I, I, I mean, imagine. you know, this is a. I mean, you can't give me an honest answer. You're not a psych. I mean, you can't like really predict. But what are your feelings about it? Well, he could. I, I think it'll be tough because he's been out for what he had a knee injury even for a while before all this happened. He he spent a lot of the the, the previous year on the sidelines as it was. You know, that first time back out, maybe uh, maybe a little rusty. Actually, winning this time after this long layoff will be tough. But if he does, he but I mean, talent wise, he's still the best golfer out there. He certainly could. You know, so who knows? I saw something online today. I think it's Sports Illustrated that that said, you know, he quoted, you know, one of his one of his handlers or someone who's been watching him practice who said he's really killing the ball if he gets his putting down. Uh, basically, where he, that part of the game where it's it's tougher to get the timing down the first time back. If if he does get that down, there's a good chance he's going to win this thing. So so we'll see. It'll be quite a story, quite a It'll bonanza quite for him if he came back all this craziness and won won at the Masters his first time back. I know, no. It, it, I, I, listen, I know that everybody's going to be watching this one. People who never watch golf will be watching, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it brought so much attention. That's right. Tiger, I mean, golf has been pretty overly Tiger-dependent for a long time. If you look at the television ratings over the past several years, really, um, in tournaments where Tiger has you know, gone, has won or at least been in contention to the final day versus those tournaments where he has not been, the ratings are just black and white, huge differences. And this, because of all the drama and everything else associated with it, should drive television ratings even more. You know, I, I think it's going to be a spectacular event, a, a really spectacular event. It's sort of like instead of having a Super Bowl party, you could have an Augusta party. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder if people start having Augusta parties. Well, the thing is, they will now. A lot of Tiger jokes that will go around with those, but I think that there will probably will be. Um, in wrapping up, um, do you want to talk about any headlines in NBA or NFL? It's kind of the two major sports arenas that we didn't touch upon. Same trends, I would imagine, in terms of soft stadium sales, maybe not so much yeah. the NBA. I don't know. Tell me. Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, the, the, uh, the NFL is probably the most steady right now. I mean, the attendance was down about 1% or so last year, and they might have that again. But the NFL, because it's, it's a little bit unique, you know, it's that once-a-week sport. Stadiums tend to fill up or nearly fill up for every game. You know, a team is only playing eight home games a year, not 40 or 80 like you have in other sports. So, you know, I think things will be relatively steady in the NFL. They do have a labor situation coming up. A lot of folks think there's a good chance we could have a lockout or a strike after this next season. 
I'm not really one of those. I think they'll probably work it out. I mean, the, that issue is exactly, you know, how you define revenues between the owners and the players. The players have been getting about 60% of the revenues for quite a while. I think they're still going to continue to get something close to that. Um, in terms of, it seems like the whole spat there seems to be how do you divide the pie? In other words, or I'm sorry, how do you how do you define the pie? Because the owners in the past have been allowed to put some revenue aside and exclude it from what goes to players if they're using it to build new stadiums that produce more revenue and that sort of thing. Now that the stadium building wave seems to be over for a while, they, there's going to be a little bit of dispute over how much revenue the owners get to shield for themselves and how much goes into the pool to share with players. But I don't think structurally it's enough of a divide that there's going to be a strike. Right, no. Is I, what I, is what yeah, I would guess. Yeah. The, the NBA, though, it's a little tougher. Something like half the teams, at least 12 teams out of 30, maybe as many as 15, are losing money right now. And David Stern, is really, the commissioner, is really, really adamant about uh, about changing the labor agreement. You know, it's not up until after next season, but they're already starting negotiations. And he has come out and said, he, he has told me when I, I've had the chance to talk to him a couple of times, he said, you know, player costs absolutely have to be lower. So the owners are going to push real hard. Not so much to, you know, again, like in baseball, to... to to knock down the salaries of these major stars like Kobe and LeBron, but those backup players who who you see with these five-year deals for $55 million, they might start to become a thing of the past if, uh, if David Stern has his way. All right, so what would they get? What would be the new package? Well, eh, it's hard to say exactly. <laughs> the NBA has a salary cap where the players are guaranteed some X amount of money, you right. know, every year. They're, they just want to lower the percentage of revenues, which is, I think, well into the mid-50s that, that goes to the players. I mean, I'm, I don't see the players still not getting about half the revenues, but they're going to want to shave a good few points off of it. And the way that will shake out naturally amongst individual players on a team is you, there's going to be less money probably to pay the so-so players huge contracts. That's sort of, that, that, that sort of middle class will get knocked down a little bit, I think. Well, maybe one day it will go up again. <laughs> I mean, you know, everything is cyclical. Or do you think if you know if this move is made that it'll be in perpetuity? It's um, it's just smarter business, and Stern is coming up with a smarter business model because the you know the big player price tags just became you know crazy out of whack. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure one thing I'll have to do to have any chance to get the union to agree to it is to make it to make sure that it's at least cyclical. In other words, the the percentage of of the dough coming in going to the players might be a little bit less, um, but it still will be based on a decent percentage. Which means when business is up, their salaries will go up. The salary cap will go up each year or down each year based on how the economy is doing. He basically wants to tie the players' compensation to the economy the same way the owners' compensation already is, instead of you know. If we have a recession, owners lose ticket sales, they lose money, but the players still have their guaranteed deals. He wants basically both sides to share in the ups and downs of the economy a, li- a little bit more. The mm-hmm. players' union would say that that they already do um, because there's, it's going to affect them somewhat. You know, in terms oh, of how much, what? How much money there is. Trillion dollar bonuses. I mean, I- <laughs> yeah, as far as how much money is available to sign, but um, you know, basically what he's going to what he's going to go for is you know we all have to share in this. He already he already actually won a, a big victory over the referees. You know who were who were ready to walk at the beginning of the season, but but they solved that pretty quickly. So I, you know I, I think there's going to be a lot of posturing right up until the last minute, but probably in the NBA and the NFL they'll get something done because I don't think structurally they're that far apart. Yeah, no, I, and, 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 and what, I think they agree with, with Yeah, no, I think that although again being in the LA area and it, 
you know, sports is so, so many times regional in terms of team popularity. And as a Lakers fan, um, we, don't, we don't see any signs of the recession at those games. You ought to go to the Clippers games. Maybe there's more sign of it there. Well, um, that's why I don't go. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Well, listen, um, Thomas Van Riper, sports writer, Forbes magazine, thank you so much for your insights in the sports industry, how the recession is affecting it. Um, I hope you'll come on to the show again. Did you have a good time? I had a great time, and I was surprised to even be invited on. I mean, the, the, your show is stars of PR, and I'm not even in PR. Well, you know what? When you say stars of PR, yeah. it's really anybody that has anything to contribute to the public relations field. And as a reporter, I mean, so much of what we do in PR and marketing, um, journalists are a part of it. So you have kind of fell into that overall category. So in your own right, Thomas Van Lover, <laughs> you are a star of PR. And thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. I had a great time. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 